Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Hey guys, before we get to it, want you to know that this episode is sponsored by our friends at Data Driven Marketing. You can find them at datadrivencollegemarketing.com. They only do one thing, digital marketing for colleges and universities. They deliver results and they ask to be judged on that basis. Data Driven Marketing knows that they have to deliver an ROI for clients and they have a long track record of doing exactly that. If you're looking for a low cost per enrollment, SEO to social media, from pay-per-click to strategy to business metrics and analytics, data-driven marketing applies a disciplined, scientific testing-oriented methodology that consistently delivers results. Look them up at datadrivencollegemarketing.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we talk to the brightest and most influential minds in higher education uh, I'm Joe Salustio, and my co-host, Liz Leibar, are you here? I'm here. What's up? How are you? How are you? Doing good. You know, Can't complain. I'm good. I always say I'm living the dream, and I've added in my basement to the uh, to that sentence. So I'm living the dream in my basement here, Liz. <laughs> um, but, but I hope you're well. And uh, we have uh, a great guest today. On the line, we have Richard Dunsworth president of University of the Ozarks. Richard, how are you? I'm doing quite well. Uh, thanks for having me today. Well, no, it's our pleasure. Thank you for making the time. And, um, you know, uh, this is our podcast, as I say, and we've gotten some feedback out there because I spend the first five minutes asking people how they are. And people would rather see me jump into the episode, but I don't care. I want to know how my guest is doing. Rich, how are you? Uh, how's your health? How's your family? How's your, your, your circle, kids, or, or partners, or whatever? Sure. How's everybody doing out there? Well, I, I kind of laughed when you in my head when you said living the dream, and I'm going, well, is it a dream? Okay, because if this is a dream, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to wake up now. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like this dream of the last four or five months in higher education and, and living in the United States, I'd, I'd like to wake up um, from, from this dream at the moment. So, but anyway, that, uh, that we're good, that, uh, you know, I, I have three teenagers, um, two of them turned 15 yesterday. So regardless of what's going on in my world, uh, yeah, they're going, Hey dad, um, that's all well and good, but what's for my birthday? Dad, that's all well and good, but let's, let's go for a bike ride. Let's, let's do stuff. So especially over the last three or four months, I'm, I'm very thankful that I have persistent teenagers saying, dad, we know you're working to, to figure out what to do and for the university, but um, let's make homemade ice cream today. So uh, they've been a wonderful distraction. They're, they're healthy and active and uh, it, it gives me, it gives me reason to think about the future uh, and, and reason to go, okay, let's find solutions because someday soon I want them back in a, in a classroom too. So life's good. I appreciate you asking. Thank you very much. For a university president, president, university administrator, you're, you're in a tough spot. Not only are you making decisions 
for students, um, maybe students who have children, um, uh, but you're taking it, especially if you yourself have children, you're sort of taking it at both ends, worrying about your children, worrying about your students. Um, it, you know, it, it's uh, as a university administrator at any level, making decisions for students, it's not like you work at a bank in finance and you can sit home and, and you know, you're not interacting with anyone or making any decision that's going to affect a human life. You're really making decisions that are affecting people. And that brings me to what I want to talk about, Rich, because this is, I don't actually have a question for you. I have a, a statement I'm going to make about you, and then I'd like you to respond to it, if that's fair. Um, okay. I your, yeah, I was watching your Facebook Live, your most recent Facebook Live that you gave on the 24th of, of July. Um, to your uh, constituency and you're allowing people to ask questions and you went through so many details um, about what was going to happen, the, how people were communicating, how we're going to come on campus, the forms I have to fill out, all of these things. And there was at one point somebody asked a question and you looked at the camera and you said, you know, I just don't know. And I found that to be extremely refreshing because, um, you know, maybe you didn't know and you were able to admit that you don't know. How important is that right now? Admit that you don't have all the answers. I think it's, I think it's vitally important. Um, and, yeah. Part of that is, is also about the kind of relationship one, it's honest, but it, but it also, my hope is that it breeds the kind of relationship that, that I want this institution to have with, with our students and their families, uh, those who, who support them, that, that, that sometimes I don't know is the right answer. And sometimes it's the most authentic answer. Uh, yet I also understand that sometimes I don't know can cause people to feel unsure. And and right now, I think many people want want assurances. They they want to hear it's going to be okay. Well, I believe it's going to be okay, but yet there are things we just don't know yet. And and as as we've been working through a lot of these these questions and challenges, um, what I've told our campus constituents as well as the public is, hey, we're going to make some mistakes. When we do, we're going to say we're sorry. We'll make additional decisions and we'll keep moving. Um, and that, that let's build an organization that's based on action. And, and with as complex an organization as we have, there are going to be a lot of times where we go, I don't know. But that's not a, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to figure it out. It's usually a, mm, I don't know. Let's figure out who does. Or let's put that question on the wall for another day. Well, well said. You know, one of the things that you also said in the, in the uh, Facebook Live, you said that you hope that this is a blip in our lifetime. And to the students, please don't derail the trajectory of your life. I thought that was an important statement that you made because, I mean, I think that's the hope of all of us, right, that this is a blip. Um, but for a lot of people, it doesn't feel that way, and they will make either rash, maybe calculated decisions uh, for their future based on the present. How are you mitigating some of that with your student services, with your uh, finance departments to, to, to 
address the students' concerns? Sure. We, we made a few decisions when we went online in, in early or mid-March uh, and, and took that, that pivot. One is that we publicly said that, that we were committed to our employees. And, and that, was, that was one of the first commitments that we said. And, and some folks would go, hold it, your commitment should have been to your students first. We said it the other way around, to our employees. We got you. You've got a job. Know that that's secure. Now let's focus on our students. Because part of it's just human nature, that if I'm fearful that I might get furloughed or laid off, a part of my mind is focused on contingency planning for my spouse, my children, my home, my mortgage, whatever. So we first said, hey, we got you. It is our commitment to treat this as a challenge, as a blip, and we're going to be more resilient. We're going to be a better organization on the back end. We have 186-year history that suggests we know how to do this. So we started there and then we started working with employees and saying, okay, your job's going to change overnight. Your job over the next couple of months is just checking in with students. You're working the phones, you're working whatever media platform is, is available to you, check in with our students. Make sure they're okay. See how you can help them. And, and what we did is we tried to enlist everybody in the let's find solutions for whatever hits us today. And if it's too big for you to, to solve, push it to someone else. And what we found is almost every week we were giving people more authority. Going, hmm, you've got authority to do this, whether that's student employment, whether that's how people change majors or minors, how people get uh, registered for classes. And then, and then it is trying to help students understand um, the totality of circumstances. If I'm an incoming freshman and I think I want to be a lawyer, well, you're going to sit for the bar in seven and a half years, right? So this semester, let's, let's exhale and go, how do we make you as successful as we possibly can be this semester in whatever modality we use to deliver your curriculum? Great. Let's start with that presence that we don't have to have all those answers today. Now, where it gets a little more complicated for us, for us Joe and, and, and Liz, and, and the one that, that maybe kind of feels like gut-wrenching to me, it's the students at the other end of the, the, the continuum, that student getting ready to graduate, or that student that's in their last year going, well, but this isn't what I dreamed about. I didn't dream about, you know, sitting in, a, in my home bedroom taking classes. I dreamt of it being different. And, and that's the one where, quite honestly, I spend more time with those students um, saying, you know, I'm sorry this is going on, but let's talk about the future. Let's talk about are we preparing you for what you, you hope will happen? And that we all have, have those dark days or dark years in our lives going, huh, I'm glad I don't remember that in vivid detail. It wasn't so positive. Uh, and then you get to do the things that you do think are positive. So maybe that's a little long-winded way of saying it, Joe, but that's, that's how we've tried to approach, um, approach this with, with our students. Um, we've also had those conversations with our faculty and staff, you know, saying, how do, we, 
How do we help you be as successful as we can knowing that you're working from home and you also have three little ones who are now at home? What does that look like? Tell us. Raise your hand. I use sports analogies or metaphors often, and I go, give somebody a yellow card. Throw a flag. Let us visually see there's a challenge. And if we see the flag or the yellow card, then we can go, okay, I can choose to address it or choose not to, but then we at least know the score. Great points. And, and speaking of long-winded, that's me. So I'm going to pass it to my co-host, Liz. <laughs> She's jumping in a bit. Yeah, you already know. And um, I actually love these answers because I think there's so many layers and there's so much that we can unpack. And our listenership really is, I think, uh, Joe can probably agree and attest to this, really at this point, a lot of us are looking for in higher education different approaches, ways that we can problem solve, how are leaders doing it across the country and different methods that they themselves can apply on their campuses or they can suggest in their leadership team meetings. So we appreciate that you're elaborating and giving us a lot to think about. Joe is a great study of leadership, as am I. And I wonder, just in looking at your background, and I think Joe will appreciate this question since we both come from this area in higher education. How do you think that has informed your background in the enrollment side and looking into the unknown? We all know that higher education is going through some amount of disruption and flux with COVID and with the future being uncertain and incorporating online. And are we going to be able to um, justify bringing students back to campus or at least be able to, in some measure, find some way to mitigate the safety aspects of that. How has your journey in higher education, I love to get into origin stories and, and where people came from in terms of their leadership journey. How has that informed how you've been making your decisions and, and how you've um, addressed? I always feel like people from the enrollment side and maybe Joe will um, jump on my bandwagon. I feel like we keep it a little bit more real, even though I'm in the faculty side now, and I, I'm, I'm totally more in the curriculum in the backseat of the well, behind the scenes. But I really feel like when you come from the enrollment side, you you have that. Like how Joe said, I don't know. Like I'm in the classroom, I do that all the time. Students will ask me a question. I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, you don't know? No, I don't. Uh, to be real with you, I don't know everything. So how has how do you think your journey as far as how you come up through the ranks in higher education, how do you think it's informed your leadership style and how is it helping you to navigate this um, uncertain, unprecedented time? Speaking of a, a question with a lot of layers, so thank you. That, um, that, one, that one's a fun one. A couple of things that come to mind was um, my very first higher ed job was managing 140-bed residence hall, all men, Primarily first year, I was a hall director. Um, you know, the graduate degree, law degree, all that came years later that, that I worked for um, a few years before going back to grad school. And I think especially with the, the, the COVID kinds of questions, that because I was a hall director, I, I think about some of those details and, and I'm and my, my housing staff, my facility staff, the custodial staff, the folks that I, that I think are really on the front lines of us moving back into face-to-face, -face, 
they know they know they don't have to tell me everything they do in a day that that they know I can at least remember what that was like, even if it's approaching 30 years. So I think that, that when I think about that and then do you throw in the 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 enrollment and law school together really opened up my my research side, my my analysis side so that do you go, OK, let's 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 put it on the wall. Let's let's answer as many of the different pieces and parts of the question that we can answer and then go, OK, do we have enough information? And knowing that some of the decisions and, and challenges that are coming at us as an as an organization, as we're thinking about leadership teams, you know, some questions you want 90 percent of the information. Some questions you can answer them once you hit 50.01%. And what I'm finding now is that a lot of my time is working with vice presidents and deans, helping them figure out which question is a 50.01% question and which question is a, we want more like 99% confidence. Not that those actually exist, but you know what I mean. Um, so I, I think that the, the enrollment background, the law background, working for some amazing people over the, the years um, has caused me to, to see things as a research, to see things, as, see things generally from a question standpoint, and then has also caused me to want to invest in others and, and help them grow their leadership skills, help them grow their management skills, and and in many ways, try to build an organization that distributes as much of that um, responsibility, as much of that uh, authority as possible. Knowing at the end of the day, the board will look at me as, hey, you're responsible, but, but, but I, I do, don't do it by myself. Uh, I have some pretty amazing people that, that, that get after it every day. Absolutely. That's really very... Um, in, in terms of just helping others to think about how to strategize, I really think that's informative. Talk to me a little bit about your strategic plan. I saw that you guys have this renewing our place strategic plan. You guys have a history in terms of your college of um, thinking outside the box and being creative in terms of look at, looking at vulnerable, um, disadvantaged populations. You were the first college in Arkansas to admit African-American students. You we're the first college in the United States to offer a comprehensive program for students with learning differences. And those are some of the um, thinking, uh, more visionary thinking that I appreciate as being a faculty member in the classroom because we really want to, especially in these unforeseen times, think about how we're serving our students that are coming from the most vulnerable sectors of society as educators. That's our, definitely our mission and our goal and, and as someone that I think I, I, as a first-gen student, as an African-American woman, um, as someone that came from what would be considered a, a disadvantaged um, background, like high school, 90% mm -hmm. black, um, how are we um, and how are, are um, you, how are we as higher education and how are you on your campus looking at the, the, the culture and, and what's going on now in terms of our society and how you're able to address that on your campus, your strategic planning, what are some of the thoughts that you guys are having and, and discussions that you're having amongst your leadership team about that? First, Liz, I want to say thank you because you used a word 
that is in some of our, um, well, it's in our internal communication, and you use the word vulnerable. And, and the fact that you use that word to describe what you're reading in that plan without us using it, well, it, 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 it caused me to, to, well, it caused me to, I don't know what the right word is, kind of exhale and at the same time go just, it was affirming. Because you're right, yeah. we serve, our institution is, is called to serve a vulnerable population. We were founded when this was the frontier. This was the, the, the Indian Oklahoma Territory. The, the state lines hadn't been drawn yet. Um, there are great stories of our first campus was, was burned as different armies were going through in the, the Civil War. Uh, we moved to this campus physical location in 1891. Um, so that, that when we talk about serving, serving challenging, vulnerable populations, we, we've been, it's, it's, it's our space. So when, when we wrote that plan and, and we're getting ready to launch an, a new planning process, the, there was some concern. We were about 550 students. Um, there was concern about our ability to, to serve. Um, there was concern about the ability to, 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 to have an enrollment um, that, that supported our physical plant. And, and what we said is let's, let's make sure before we turn the page on what our historic legacy is um, and go a different direction, let's test it and make sure that we, we, well, let's, let's see if there's still students that want what we've been doing. And we said, great, let's, let's own it. And in the process of owning it, we're going to have our largest enrollment in university history this fall. We're over 900. Um, we've seen uh, the U.S. News rank us in the top two diverse campuses in 12 states by saying, hey, we're going to recruit Latinx students. We're going to recruit African-American students. We're going to recruit first gen, but, but we're going to do it with intention and in that we've got to make some changes. We've got to think differently about recruiters. We need just as diverse people in the, the Office of Admission as the students that we wish to recruit. We need to have diverse people in our classrooms. We need to have faculty and, and, and student support folks who can say, I understand what it means to be first gen. Please understand, I, and I will say to our students, I'm very proud of my father. I'm proud of the life I was given um, because of my family. But my mother explained to me the day I was inaugurated here. I talked about being first generation. And she, she came up afterwards and she's like, nice job. You were a little long-winded. Just, you know, the kinds of things moms can say. And she says, I appreciate you say you're the first to graduate college. But have you ever considered you're the first man in our family to graduate high school? And I just kind of look at her and go, and it was this, like, you know, a gut check going, oh, right. Dad quit high school to farm. Grandpa, grandpa. No, I'd never thought about being the first man in my family to graduate high school. So my mom looks at me and she says, please know we were proud of you long before you graduated college. So, so when you think about the kinds of stories we have, and when we think about, you know, reclaiming our history, what I've invited our faculty staff to do is to, to own their stories. 
and and there's power in it. There's power in that narrative, um, and that that if we own it, then then maybe maybe that first generation student who college is only a dream, but they take a look at us and they come in and they go, okay, I see somebody like me. I hear a story like mine. Well, what might happen if I stay for a second semester or a third? We've said publicly for the last four years, we tell our freshmen what we want as it relates to retention. We've told our, our students for four years what we want as it relates to graduation rate. We've doubled our four-year graduation rate. Nah, that's not true. We've almost doubled our four-year graduation rate. We're in the, the, the mid-40s. Uh, we're 52% for a, a five-year graduation rate. For our student profile, that's amazing. But what we said to our students is, what will it take us to get a 70% four-year graduation rate without changing who we recruit? Hmm. What would it take if schools like ours said, you know, Students that are vulnerable can graduate too. And that we not accept that only the students at really, really wealthy schools, that only students who both of their parents have graduate degrees can graduate at 90% in four years. What would it look like if we said no? Vulnerable students can graduate in four years too. We have to change as opposed to them changing. And I feel like I'm getting on a soapbox. Liz, no, so but what you're saying is so good, Rich. What you're saying is so val it's so valuable what you're saying. Because what you're saying and I'm, my heart is like racing because like I said, my my school that I went to is ninety percent black. And if my I went to University of Florida and if they would have had that mind frame of, well, let's not recruit there because that might throw off our US, you know, news of world report. Mm -hmm. We don't want our, our numbers to get thrown off. I never probably would have even attended college. So what you're talking about is so valuable in that we can't ask the students to change. The students don't say they want to grow up in that neighborhood. That was where my parents lived, and that's what I had, the cars that I would dealt. I was dealt. But I had a school, just like what you're talking about, that said, you know what, we're going to be intentional, which is what you're discussing, the idea of a school being intentional and recruiting the student and then putting the success pieces of support element in place so that the students will be successful, not being lazy and just going to, oh, we know these students are going to be successful. Let's recruit there because that's going to help us to continue to maintain our top 10 status in the country and, and we won't have to go outside of our box. So I really appreciate you saying that and really verbalizing that and talking about that strategy because what you're doing is so, so very valuable and so important to those vulnerable students. Well, thank you, Liz. That, that it's, it's it, 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 it's affirming, and and we are a faith-based institution. We're founded um, by the Presbyterian Church, and and continue to be um, affiliated uh, with uh, the Presbyterian Church. So it's also, I think, somewhat easier for us uh, to talk about being called to serve students, uh, and and that from a faith tradition, uh, that that that's that's a sense of grounding. Um, sure. You know, even though you know the the largest denominations on our on our student in our student body and in our faculty staff are 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 not um, from our founding uh, denomination, but it's it's a place that that I think grounds all of us and it gives us a place to to start from, uh, and and it's also life affirming to see what happens when when you see a student from. Central America becoming good friends with a student from Memphis who 
you know, then plays on an athletic team from somebody from uh, a rice farm here in Arkansas. It's just, it's affirming. And, and I think that, that as we think about, maybe this is to circle back around to, to, to one of the, the other questions about my professional journey, as we think about the, you know, the demographic cliff that is coming at us in a few years, and we think about enrollment challenges and how do all of these schools survive, let alone thrive, I think, I think there's room for, for each of us if we get crystal clear about who we serve and that, that we, we allow our mission to drive us and that, that sometimes cool new markets are great, but maybe some of us need to say no to cool new markets and really serve the students we serve um, and, and, and do, it, do it as well as we can possibly do it. Hey everyone, this is Joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba, has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. Yeah, Rich, speaking of the students you serve, um, want to just um, address and bring up you know, online education in general, uh, as we know, um, and anybody that listens to the app experience knows we've talked about this with, with really anybody that's come on the, the shift to online learning uh, due to the pandemic. Um, I was, again, going back to your Facebook uh, uh, live session, I thought I heard you saying there that there were less than 12 students that had registered or indicated, I, I don't remember what word you used, that they were looking at full online learning as it, as it came to fall, which, which I thought was a pretty low number, um, but that says a lot about, I think, what students are looking for. Um, so it's bringing me to my question, I promise. Uh, how, so, so let's say that that's, so there's two questions in here. One, is that surprise you that, that students are not registering for fully online? And secondly, if you're gonna have students back on the campus, are you confident, or I mean, that's not the right way to say it. Do you think that students will follow the rules and stay separated to, to the degree that they need to? What happened to throwing me softballs? You know, what, what happened to, <laughs> to throwing me just nice lobs right over the middle of the plate? Is this not a lot? Um, I mean, it's, it's more like a volleyball spike, I guess. But you know, I, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That one was right to the face. You didn't even let me try. No, the volleyball spike right to the forehead. Great. Um, <laughs> the Packers when uh, when he gets the uh, Ben Stiller takes the uh, volleyball spike to the nose or he hits somebody. I love right. that movie. That's like exactly. one of my favorites. <laughs> um, uh, right, so, um, 
Yeah, there, there you go. I'll take it after after this call's over. I'll get yelled at by by Rich. But for now, while we're on 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 air, you're <laughs> Great. So uh, a couple of things that that I'll give you a little more context that makes the the whole you know less than a dozen students that uh, um, went a hundred are going a hundred percent online. That makes it even maybe even more shocking for me. We have. 50, 55, let's say 60 faculty if we do FTE. Um, we have 20 of them, 20 of our teaching faculty are teaching 100% online because of their current life circumstances. So we have courses across all disciplines, freshmen through senior level, that students, if they worked at it a little bit, they could have a full schedule 100% online. So that, that some might go, oh, well, you only have a dozen being online because you don't have enough classes. Oh, no, we have enough class. I mean, we could, but what we're seeing is students are going, okay, I'll do a couple online or, hey, I'll do some online, especially if um, some of it's about size things, but they're going, no, I, I want to be back. I want to be part of a campus culture. With that as the backdrop, do I think students are going to follow the rules? No. Do I think we're going to make it as easy as possible? Yes. And, and what do I mean by that? Um, we haven't done a lot of renovation because of the challenges, but we've, we've done, done some. And most of it's about doors. We're putting in second sets of doors in half a dozen classrooms so that there's an, in, an entrance and an exit. We're changing the environment. An outgoing set of doors, basically. So you have one way. You got it. That we're changing the, the, as much about the physical environment as we can to make it really easy for a student to come in one door and out the next. Also, that's about what we think about is we've, we've talked with our students about turning, turning over the plane. That, that, that if you've been on a plane and you're the last person on, the folks trying to clean the plane are already on the plane. So guys, as we think about turning over some classrooms, we need you moving so that we can turn over the classroom. Now, we've also done quite a bit of blocking where where most of our classes have at least a 50, if not a 75 minute break between every use so that we know we can clean them. And we're sharing all of that information with students and faculty in every classroom so that they know what to expect. It's almost the, hey guys, this room's gotta be turned over in 10, month, 10 minutes, get out, without saying get out. Um, we're putting markers on the, the, the floors where every um, table and chair is supposed to sit. Why are we doing that? We're asking our faculty that the minute they walk in a room, the first thing that we ask them to do is scan the room. Is it set safely and appropriately? We don't want them to be in this, the, the business of rearranging rooms. Do we have it set appropriately? Um, we're, we're trying to create as much technology as possible or add technology as possible to make things easier for the student and the faculty member. But at the end of the day, no, I think students are going to be communal. Um, I think students want to get back together and the first two weeks of the school year scare the, 
you know what out of me because I, I have no faith that we won't have off-campus parties. And then what happens next? And, and our students, when I say an off-campus party, I'm not talking about a, a kager. Uh, and I'm also not saying our students never drink, but we're, we're just not the kind of campus that has the animal house kind of things. But we are the kind of place where folks go, hey, let's go, let's go to the lake and, and cook out. Um, so yeah, long, long-winded, do I have confidence? No, I don't have confidence, but we're gonna try to make it as easy as possible for our students to follow the rules. Well, and, and th thanks for that answer because I, and you hear, do you guys hear thunder? If you did, that's my kids running around and uh, shows you. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, God. I, like I, I like to leave those moments in the episode to let all of our listeners know that the Edup experience is just as messy as anybody else out there. Uh, there goes the thunder again. Uh, but, I, but I think that that's a, a really good, um, you know, a, a representation of the amount of considerations that you have to take on. I'll be that honest with you. My first thought, because we've been talking about the costs, right? Moving online does, particularly if you haven't had online before or limited online, moving to online courses does cost you some money uh, to do that if you have to invest in technology. But when you have physical infrastructure in the world of COVID-19 and you are going to adjust that physical infrastructure, there is a tremendous cost involved that uh, universities are, are taking on, and that's putting a lot of universities in jeopardy um, in, a, in a survive mode. Uh, I, I got to be honest, I didn't even think about the door thing. I didn't even go, okay, we have COVID-19. We need more doors. I, I, I got to be honest. And so when I heard you say that, I went, oh, well, that makes a ton of sense. And I guess, you know, as a, I've been in online education for so long, doors wasn't the first thing I thought about. So that was enlightening and I think a good representation of the additional considerations that you have to take on uh, during this time. So I just, I'll just say it like that, uh, that I, I don't know – unless you're in it, if anybody could fully appreciate the level of detail that, that you and your administration is going through, um, you know, and, and how stressed out is everyone right now dealing with this? It, it's, it, it, the level of detail is, is, is some days, um, well, it's a little mind-boggling, um, but I think that also goes back to the, the leadership question that I believe Liz posed a few minutes ago, that, that we've worked pretty hard to distribute this out across campus, that we have a repopulation team uh, that's chaired by our Vice President for Finance and Administration. Uh, she's, uh, we recruited her from, from Florida a little over a year ago, great at project management, and she's put different groups together um, so that these kinds of questions, uh, you know, when I say they go up on a wall, she doesn't use a wall, I'm that guy that, you know, I do the draw, the, the whiteboard. But they're going, okay, what can we do? And, and, and it's a great big puzzle going, what kind of spaces do we have? When I mentioned some of the online education, we made the decision early on that the classes, if we couldn't, if we didn't have a space big enough to socially distance, we would try to move classes online. Well, for a small private residential campus, you don't build large classrooms. It's, it's, it's kind of the antithesis to your brand. If you say, hey, our average class size is 18, why would I build a whole bunch of classrooms where you can put six feet behind every, or between everybody? So those are the kinds of things we're looking at in our conference center. Luckily, we have one. Luckily, we have a decent-sized student union. We've been able to, um, to, to make those adjustments. 
I think it's a whole lot easier to add a door for us in many ways than to have great confidence in the ability to flip to online. That, that those who are new to online, I think we, we are acutely aware that, that it's hard. That, that I think there's a misnomer that online's quick, fast, and cheap, or quick, easy, and cheap. To do it well, it takes work, and it definitely takes resources. So it's, you know, it's, or maybe that's, it, it, that's one of the takeaways from all of this is that maybe schools like us uh, are going to have a whole lot more appreciation and maybe respect for some of our online colleagues. I'll tell you what, that that thump you just heard was Liz passing out from joy. Yeah, from hearing it was. It really was because that's something that a lot of times, and Joe knows about this because he works in that space and has for some time, as have I. And I think what you said was so really valuable in that you want to do it right and you're looking at, well, what can we do to make sure the student experience is the best that we can provide given our resources? And all those logistical elements and, and ensuring that you understand where your strengths lie, I think it's so important because sometimes there has been, and Joe has railed against this as have I, have been, has been this misconception that you could just throw classes online and just Zoom university and just the students will have a great experience. And the students are saying, no, this is not what we want. So we have to balance out student safety, but also making sure that we deliver education and make sure that the student is having the best experience they can vulnerable students sometimes don't have access to internet, may not have the same amount of, in terms of maybe family structure which that is conducive to learning online. There's so many different variables and so many different layers to the decision-making. And, and I'm glad that you're bringing that because sometimes we're thinking of a large public university maybe that may have the resources or may have the funding to be able to invest but if you're a small school and, and there's things that you can do that still keep the students safe and still keep the students happy and enrolled and make sure that you don't have any break in their attendance and that they can still meet their um, their goals as far as their education these are all really important um, aspects and and I think it goes back to trust so my final mm -hmm. question will be about making sure that as higher education we keep the trust of our students sometimes and I I, I had this really very painful, I think, for me as an instructor experience where I teach English composition and we were talking about cause and effect. I said, hey, guys, let's talk about the causes for enrollment to be dropping across the country. Why are less Gen Z students across the board going back to school and enrolling in college? And the students were saying, oh, you know, return on investment. You know, do they want to take on so much debt? They were talking about maybe time and different elements like that. And then the final student said, trust. We don't trust you guys. And I was mm -hmm. like floored. We don't have any, and another word he used was faith. We don't have faith that you guys are making the best decisions for us. And for mm -hmm. a 20 something year old to look me in my face, who I've been working education as long as he's been alive and tell me, right. we don't have faith, faith in you. How do we recapture that? Because what you talked about in terms of your decision making, you're trying to do the best thing, not only for your school, also for the student, you're not just going to rush and throw classes online. You're really looking at what's best overall for the students and thinking strategically in terms of that. How do we translate that across higher education? Because one thing that that interaction with that student really showed me is that I've read about it in, you know, higher education journals and so forth. And we all talk about it. 
But to hear a student tell me to my face, we don't trust you guys, that was like life-changing for me. So what do we do in terms of, obviously you're doing something that will instill trust on your campus in that the students can see, Joe talked about in your Facebook Live, that you're making decisions and, and you're thinking about what's best and you don't have all the answers, but you're going to try your very best. How can we duplicate that, that philosophy across the institutions in our country? Wow. Um, a couple of thoughts that, that, that come to mind and the... I don't like the word transparency, Liz, and I can't hmm. believe that's the first one that comes to mind in thinking about this question. Hmm. And the reason why when I say don't like the word, because often it's used, I find it used as a sword, you know, hmm. that people wield it and want to jab you with it. Well, be transparent. Hmm. But, but when we, and when we think about trust with students. And I think especially when we talk about first generation students, when we talk about students that have, have otherwise been, um, been marginalized or, or are, have challenges that sometimes we can't even see. Mm-hmm. That, that I think it's important, well, it's not important, it's imperative that, that we identify and acknowledge you know, the ex- examples that trust. Well, hey, I, I've committed to this class. I've budgeted or I've committed to a semester. I've budgeted everything um, down to the penny to be able to do this. Hold it. There's a $100 upcharge on the class. Why is there an upcharge? Well, that's called a lab fee. Well, yeah, but but I have tuition, room, board fee. What? And, and you, we start seeing things like, well, what does it cost? You know, families think tuition, room, and board, and then there's all this other stuff. So how do we get to a point where we go, hey, we're, we're, we're either going to bundle it and go, hey, there are one or two or three dollar figures on that invoice. Let's talk about what it really costs. Let's talk about what it really takes to be successful. Let's talk about, you know, one of the things that we've, I said to our admission staff several years ago, I, I posed the question, I said, how often do you recommend to a student that they go somewhere else? And I had the director of admission look at me and says, I don't have the authority to tell somebody to go somewhere else. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, if a student's admissible here, I have to recruit them. And and his name is Joey. And I said, Joey, have you ever worked with a family where you knew darn good and well we weren't the right school for them? And he said, sure. And he said, well, how about moving forward? If you don't think we're the right school for somebody, you tell them that. But you have to then give them a recommendation of where they should go. You can't just say, we're not a good school for you, because that sometimes is code for discrimination. You don't fit us. No, hey, it's lovely meeting you, Liz. You're amazing. You should be at, and you tell them why. And I think that, that as you start to build build real relationships, you you get as transparent as possible, and you get brutally honest with people I think we'll see some of that trust coming back. Some of our problems is, is misinformation. You know, the, the person that has three master's degrees and has a gazillion dollars of debt, and you, they hold that one student out and you go, yeah, but that represents less than 5% of the college going population. Well, then let's talk about what is reality. Here, we tell students coming in, here's the average loan debt 
in the state of Arkansas. And then I will say to students, but the methodology is horrible because they include the people who didn't borrow any money. So let's talk about of those who borrow money, here's what the average student borrows. Our commitment to you is that you'll graduate with less than them. And we talk about it before the student commits. And, and I think those are some of the, the, the tactics, the strategies that we as an industry have to get better at um, and, and not, not believe that we've got to recruit everybody and not believe that, that, that everybody should be at our institution. I think we also have to get over this didactic whatever or false dichotomy that what higher ed or trade school. I, I was in a conversation with some folks a while back and somebody said, what, what is, what about, and they were talking about a specific school and a trade program. And I said, could you tell me one more time what, what the name of that school is? And, and I was doing it as a point and the guy looks at me and he says, such and such college. And he said, right, that's also higher education. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and says, it's trade school. And I'm like, no, he said, you're, you're creating a false dichotomy. That young person is going to college to get a licensure in HVAC. Mm-hmm. Why are you setting him or her up as this dichotomy between that and getting a bachelor's degree in English? They both went to college for different purposes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, it's how we talk. I think it's how we work with students. I think it's, it's, understanding that we don't all have to compete with each other and that if I choose an R1 because that's where I'm supposed to be and you pick something else because that's where you're supposed to be, let's celebrate both. And, and the goal is, is maybe circling way back to what I said on the, the, the Facebook Live to my students. The goal is how do we help launch or how do we help, help you on your trajectory um, and, and that we, we help them tell their story honestly, sincerely, and authentically, and that trust will come back. That's it. Mic drop. Mic drop. That's it. Well, Rich, we, uh, one of the things that we pride ourselves on at the EdUp Experience is that we save the easiest questions for last. Uh, and so with that <laughs> being said, um, here's your last question for me, and then we'll give you an opportunity to say anything you'd like uh, before we end the episode about the University of the Ozarks. But what is the future of higher education going to look like? That's the easy question. I think if I think if anything can be learned from the last five months is that that we have complex problems. We need wicked smart people that can think in multiple different disciplines to find solutions for, for us as, as, a, as a people, as a country, as a nation, as a world. And, and I think higher education one is going to be relevant. I think you're going to see um, fewer, um, I'm going to say fewer barriers. You would say, hey, there'll be fewer lines between or divisions between online or face-to-face or synchronous or asynchronous. And I, I think we're going to see some dissolution of that. Um, I'd like to see us dissolve the idea of semesters 
um, you know, they're, they're arbitrary and, you know, they're based on, they're based on a reality that doesn't exist. You know, they're based on a reality that where most of us were in the agrarian agriculture industry, or they're based on a presumption that we need to hold up for winter and we shouldn't be in school in January. So let's, let's dissolve some of those things and start going, okay, what, how do students learn? How do faculty want to teach? Let's, let's find the, the marriage of the two of those and, and remove all the structural barriers that prevent us from making change. Uh, and yeah, I think higher ed ultimately is going to be a lot more fluid. Uh, and that, that we might be having graduation ceremonies every month as opposed to every May and December. Awesome. Anything about the University of the Ozarks that you'd like to uh, leave our listeners with? Anything that we missed? Anything that you want to say at all? A, a couple of thoughts is that, and that, that I so appreciate that you guys asked, uh, especially Liz, that you asked about uh, us choosing to serve um, students that, that that had had some vulnerabilities and, and, and challenges. And, and I, 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 I'm proud to serve the institution. Um, I was told years ago that, that, that we were blessed to stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And, and that's the kind of institution um, I'm blessed to serve 186 year old uh, institution. This is, as I mentioned, our second campus. Uh, and, and I really do believe that we, we deliver, um, we deliver on, on the promise of education and, and we deliver on our mission uh, and that, that for the 900 plus students we get to serve every year, um, it's a pretty amazing and, and special place. Well, there you have it. Uh, the amazing Edup Experience episode with Rich Dunsworth, president of the University of the Ozarks. Liz, thank you for your time, as always, as my amazing co-host. And uh, a special thank you to Rich. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I sure appreciate the invitation. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.